Hello. Hello. And welcome. This is What in the Actual Fuck. I'm Kai. And I'm Britt. And we're gonna get into it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, go ahead. Wait, isn't that when the music plays? I'm honestly to the point now that I'm just pretending like this whole month of January is a part of 2022 because I have been sick nonstop. Like, really? It's, really? It's a true problem. First, it starts with like yeah. the cold. Then today out of nowhere, I had a little stomach bug that was causing my butt and my mouth to not be happy. <laughs> We're going to power through this one. Uh, Bear with me. We might have a little break or two because I might need to go to the bathroom. This is shorty. I thought it might be, but I don't know. I think we might be able to discuss it in depth. So that way we can actually have like true conversations about the aspect of this. Because I think this is an important case in terms of detailed things that people don't necessarily want to talk about. Such as incest, right? I feel like that's kind of like a... Is it tabo or taboo? Taboo. <laughs> taboo? <laughs> it's like wow. a topic that like people literally yeah, try to like lead away taboo. from. Okay, taboo. Tabo. Who knows? I do. All right. Taboo. However. <laughs> it is one of those days. Brittany's back to feeling feisty. I myself am fighting for my life over here. Bear with us, guys. Before we hop into the case, though, I am going to let you guys just know, like, right up front, trigger warnings for child abuse, abuse in general, incest, and then obviously murder. And those are big things that do trigger you. You're going to want to head a... Gonna want to head a... Gonna want to head a... Go on out of go here. Go on out of here. You are going to want to skip this case, although I think you had said your case next week involves some similar things, so you might just want to, like, wait a hot second. Or don't and listen, because they're important. Although this case doesn't really divulge deep into the details, I don't really know why and whether that's based on the age of the people that were involved or just the fact that, like, it didn't seem like many people wanted to give comments on it. So it's kind of like an overgeneralized topic that we're going to go into. Um, Still be warned about that. All right, are you ready for this? I'm trying something a little different. Oh, I'm ready. I'm going to set the scene for you, okay? Yeah. Just so you know how horrible of a case this is before (laughs) we get started. You come home from a long day, you sit down, and you turn on your television. The news comes up. It was the last thing you were watching. And right away you see that there's like breaking news of some big crime that had just happened. You sit down, you turn it on, and you see it shows a car that's been riddled in bullet holes all over the driver's side. You then see two body bags that are being loaded into an ambulance. They then flash to a different scene. You see another car somewhere that's just been kind of pulled off onto the side of the road. There's a third body bag next to it. It then goes to a final crime scene that the cops are going into this house. You learn from the news anchors that a young woman and her adopted father have been fatally shot multiple times in their minivan after a car pulled up next to them. You're like, oh my God, this is fucking terrible. What is happening? So you keep watching and the second car in a different location... This was the killer's car, and he committed suicide after the assault on the young woman and her adopted father. You're like, what the fuck is happening? How does this house tie into it, right? 
here. I'm like, okay, we're just going to sit here and continue. Are you just giving me all my reactions? No. Yes. Because I'm sitting there, if I'm watching the news and this shit's popping up, I'm like, oh, oh shit. How does this happen? How does that happen? You're sitting there, you're thinking to yourself, what in the actual fuck is happening? Who would do this? Why are they killing the young woman? And all of a sudden they flash to the house because they haven't explained the house. Inside, detectives have just discovered a seven-month-old baby that was dead, alone in its house. This baby belonged to the young woman that had been gunned down with her adopted father. And the baby's all alone? And it was all alone in this house. So now you're like, okay, for real, what the fuck is happening? How does this all tie together? Is the baby alive? The baby was dead, unfortunately. Deceased. Okay. Now, what if I were to tell you the man responsible for the shooting of the young woman, the adopted father, and the baby was actually just the woman's biological father, but he was also the father to the baby? Oh, Correct. That is going to be the topic of discussion. We are going to talk about the tragic case of Katie Fusco. And I believe it's Fusco. I looked up pronunciations. They gave me none. But it's just F-U-S-C-O. Fusco. We're going to go with that. Whom had not only had a sexual relationship with her biological father that resulted in a son, but suffered a horrific death alongside of her baby and her adopted father. Was the baby shot? We'll get more towards that into the end. Police never released, like, how the baby had died. They did note, though, that there were no, like, trauma marks to the child. There was no, like, so I don't know maybe if he, like, smothered it or something like that. Because you're not, I know. It's, it's disgusting. So, no, not so. Continuing on. No, not so what? Because <laughs> I said so. And then I was like, no, not so. Continuing on. I was like, so on. not so what? Usually we try to give like the brief description of the killer and we want to spend more time on the victim because we're not trying to glorify killers. We obviously want to bring light to the victims. However, like I said, this case is just, it's literally overgeneralized. It doesn't really go in depth onto Katie's side. It doesn't go in depth onto like the biological parents, the adoptive parents. So I kind of found what I could and put all this together. We're going to get started with a little more information on the biological father and how all of this began. In 1995, Stephen Plod, I want to say that's how you pronounce that last name because it's spelled P-A or P-L-A-D-L. Plod. Plodle. 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 We're calling him Stephen. Uh-huh. was 20 years old when he met a 15-year-old girl named Alyssa online. The two headed off and shortly after seeing each other, she became pregnant. Alyssa gave birth to a beautiful baby girl named Denise in 1998. Important to note, all right, that these statements, like I said, they're generalized. There were no real specific dates. If these aren't exactly matched up, just no. Because a lot of them said, like, in May of, you know, 1998 or in September right. of, and they kind of, they differed a little bit on, like, the different sites that I found. I just went with, with what I saw was most common, and we're going to go from there. Alyssa, Katie's biological mother, told the Associated Press in an interview that she had put Denise up for adoption when she was just eight months old. She explained they were young and poor, and she had also believed that Stephen, Katie's biological father, was already physically abusing the baby. Uh, In that moment, she refused to report further onto that. That's all she said. Okay. Because they were like, okay, well, why would you say that if you're not going to say exactly what happened? Well, an adoption is a valid, regardless, exactly. even if there is an abuse. Right. 
Exactly. I, I completely agree. Getting in deeper into the research, I found multiple other sources saying that Stephen would pinch their baby until her skin was hues of black and purple. He also claimed to have shoved her into a locked cooler when she would cry to muffle the sounds. Mm. And then even sometimes would try to stop her from crying by covering her mouth with his hand to the point where she would almost suffocate. Ew. It's terrifying. And all of these things I will backtrack and point out on, but just a simple fact of like, all right, as a 20-year-old man, his first relationship that he started pursuing, she was 15 years old. Yeah. Right? There are already claims that he's abusing his first child. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they start to become relevant down the road. Alyssa stated, quote, it was hard to give her up, but I had to because I wanted her to live and be happy, end quote. And these were interviews that were uncovered by the Gen Y podcast. Alyssa claimed that Stephen groomed her as a child and convinced her to leave her home in Texas. They eloped, started a new life in New York City together. But unfortunately, during their time, Stephen would threaten Alyssa and told her if she ever left him, he would commit suicide and make sure she was there to see it. That's... Some form of manipulation. Uh, that's, yes, exactly. But again, that's also like another red flag that's already coming yeah. out. Alyssa continues saying she witnessed Stephen's violence on many occasions, such as, this is just a mere example, he beat a cat to death because he didn't like cats. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So fearing for Stephen's violence, she didn't want her child to be killed, so Alyssa put Denise up for adoption. Did he sign off on these papers? He must have, because it doesn't say anywhere that, you know, he tried to stop it or he didn't want that to happen. He almost just seems like a piece of shit that whatever is convenient for him is happening. Okay. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I go over it at some point coming down further anyways, but, like, during the time, Stephen didn't have one job. Alyssa was juggling multiple jobs just to make ends meet for their family. I think he is, like, a creature and a predator of convenience. Sure. If the baby's there, he can take his anger out on it. If it's not, it's one less thing he has to worry about. Now we're going to talk about the victims in this case. Denise was adopted by Tony Fusco and Kelly Fusco. Fusco, Fusco, I don't know. (laughs) We're not going to go over the last names anymore, thank goodness. When she was just eight months old. Tony, he was a retired New York State Department of Corrections officer. And at the time, he was already retired. And he was just doing, I guess, like maintenance and repair work around like for his neighbors and stuff. Okay. And then Kelly was a secretary from the town of Dover's land use department. It didn't say whether she was retired, if she was still working. Where's this at? Dover. Dover's going to be 80 miles outside of New York City. Okay. I believe I want to say the New Jersey side. I'm not I'm not 100% sure. We know math. I've heard Dover, but. Yeah. Well, I think it's like all the drives I used to make because North Carolina comes into this too. Is like from North Carolina, I would pass somewhere in Dover. Before I got to New York. Right. So I think, I think, I don't know. We could probably pull it up, but I just don't feel like it. Because it still wouldn't make sense to me and it geography takes me an hour to find it. is not my thing. All right. Like I said, I don't know if Kelly was still doing that job or if she was tr- retired. Not quite sure. But she wasn't dead or killed at the time of this, right? No. Okay. And I believe like there is an explanation towards the end as to why it was maybe just those two going. I am unsure, but it might have just been... She just didn't go that day. I don't know. It's very sad, though. When they adopted Denise, they changed her name to Katie. Tony and Kelly raised Katie (laughs) along with their biological daughter. So there are multiple biological children that do come into this. Tony and Kelly have 
another daughter. And then also Stephen and Alyssa have more children after Katie. None of the sources gave their name. Okay. I don't believe there is relevance to no, it anyways. No and giving their names. Exactly. So even if this did happen and like they gave the names, I probably wouldn't say it anyways. So Alyssa had more kids with Steven after they gave up. Correct. Two more daughters. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and again, there's just so many questions that I have based on this. And I don't know that we'll ever know what the answer is. Right. So... Damn it. <laughs> Tony and Kelly raised Katie along with their biological daughter. There was not much information released on, like, the family overall. They shared a small gray trailer in a crowded park called Dover, which is 80 miles north of New York City. According to most reporters and sources, there wasn't much to say about the Fusco family. It seems that they mostly kept to themselves. They were focused on their family. Most of the neighbors living in the park didn't know them well enough to say, you know, oh, they did this and that or whatever. Most of them just made a generalized statement, quote, they were great people, end okay. quote. To me, it just kind of seems like they were focused on their family. They kept to themselves. They were minding their own business, but they were, you know, good enough people to where they would like say hi, help out. You know, Tony right. did maintenance stuff on people's houses. To me, they seem like great people. We're now going to talk <laughs> in depth about Katie. A neighbor that wasn't named explained Katie was a very sweet, reserved young woman. Gary, or, oh, this, this, this name gets me every time. Carrie Gould, and this is Kelly's brother, so Katie's uncle, told reporters that, quote, they had a very, very normal life. My nickname for Katie was Pac-Man because she was always eating, <laughs> loved animals, and was a vegetarian, end quote. Oh, that's cute. Though. It is cute. Yeah, the C in his name and then the G in the last name, I always switch them, so I call him Gary Cowled, um, but it's Carrie Gould. Okay. Very different. <laughs> After researching deeper into Katie's life with her adopted parents, she was a very sweet, talented, and mature young woman. Let's stop right there. What I mean by when I say mature young woman is I started looking into, like, her Instagram, stuff like that, mm -hmm. like what people said about her. She was very wise beyond her years. How old was she when this happened? She wasn't even 18 uh, at this moment, okay. right? It all starts happening when she is 18 and she leaves. Okay. Right. So still very, very young. For example, in a journal entry Katie wrote, she said, quote, a pen and something to draw on became a safe place for me. Ink became my weapon against rules and regulations. To be short, for me, a life without art is no real life at all. End quote. Mm. So that's like stuff she's writing when she's like younger. Right. You're not generally thinking of, you know, stuff at that age. At least I wasn't. I mean, <laughs> I was not that deep. Let's that was true. Be honest. Horses. Yeah, I was pretending I was a horse. So that was a good time. Uh, I did find her Instagram account, which the handle was Starving Amateur, and she is very, very artistic. Like, oh, cool, really what kind cool of pictures. Yeah, she liked drawing stuff, mm -hmm. but it seemed like most of her stuff on her Instagram was like really artsy pictures she had taken, okay. and then would put like stuff into it. So like writing stuff oh, like that's that. Awesome. It was really, really cool. Her bio, even on the Instagram, said beginner in art, beginner in life. Oh. Yeah. In school, many described Katie as a very talented artist. She was an aspiring artist, and she was known at her Dover High School for drawing comic strips. She had just finished her portfolio depicting the struggles faced by women throughout history. Like, that's... Wow. Like, her ending of high school. That's what she was doing with her portfolio. Think I had a portfolio? Uh, 
I, I, I thought that well, was for artistic people. <laughs> okay, I was like, okay, then I knew that soccer got me into college because I didn't have a portfolio, but I'm pretty sure that's just for artsy people, let's be honest. Yeah. Right? I don't, I don't think I took art towards hmm. the end of my high school. Oh, I, I can't draw. We didn't have to, right? Mm, I think it was an elective yeah. in the beginning. I don't know. I don't uh. remember how high school works. Me neither. It's also, I don't think it's the same as it is, no. like, back then as now Mm. i don't know okay she was also um known for leading a group of girls who petitioned the dover new york board of education to change what they felt were sexist dress codes again girl was going places well i definitely wasn't doing that right she planned to attend college and wanted to pursue a career in digital advertising she had a very bright future ahead of her sure This is where it starts going downhill. After turning 18 in January of 2016, Katie began researching her biological parents. Now, that being said, the sources kind of differed in their opinion as to whether did Tony and Kelly tell her when she turned 18, hey, you are adopted, you know, this is the information. Was it a completely closed adoption and she just sought them out? I don't know because there were no like actual like this is what it was. Or did she just know kind of growing up she was adopted and when she hit 18 she felt the need to reach out to them? I have no idea. Katie researched for her parents. She found them on social media and began messaging with them. The plods, Stephen and Alyssa, were happy to reunite with her. Are they still together? They are still Ugh. together, but like you'll you'll see as we get deeper into it, it is confusing because this is where in the story, I'm just like, I don't know why this would be allowed. As an adult in this situation, when things start unraveling, I'm like, who's stepping up to like say this is this is fucking wrong it gets no, insane I'm gonna have to hear the rest to- you'll have to hear the rest because you could actually have an input about like children i fucking can't because i don't have kids so you're gonna have to let me know what you think in august of the same year katie decided to put off college for a while and moved in with steven and Alyssa and Her- henrico moved in with them yes henrico county virginia that's so- uh, okay okay so i'm thinking correctly like i don't care that like those are your biological parents. We're, well, we raised you, but you're not moving. In her defense, I'm sure she didn't know about the abuse that she endured as an as a baby. But as know, for man. her biological mother to like put her back in that situation. Right. But I mean, if he's changed over the years, I don't know. I'm going to have to hear more of the story. But even like an outside perspective, like your 18 year old daughter that you gave up for adoption is coming to move in with you. I'm assuming she wants to get to know them better, Mm -hmm. but where were her adoptive parents? (laughs) Like what were their opinions on that? You'll get to hear it. It's just confusing to me. I would never allow them to put college off. I would say go for a few months and visit, get to know them, but you're coming back and you're going to college. That is just my take on it. My thing, (laughs) I wish that I had put college off. I didn't take it seriously. Agreed. So I don't have a problem with her, like, putting off college, but I do have a problem with not knowing the people she's going to spend that much time with, and there was obviously a reason that she was put up for adoption. I'm not saying that people who give up kids for adoption are bad. By any means, I think that's a great choice. But if I don't know you well enough, my kid's not coming to move in with you, whether she's... 10 or 15 or 20 I like I just it's true I want to know them better and I want to know what kind of situation she's going into right and it says here though Tony and Kelly were apprehensive about it they felt she was old enough to make her own decisions and supported her and she is and you kind of have to support her yes and no 
a lot of times now I would say maybe with a girl like, you know, Katie, she did seem very wise behind beyond her years. So maybe like being 18. Okay. Yes. Like you're an adult now. Like I get it. I just don't know that I could allow that. But what could happen is if they try and refuse that or don't support her, she's going to go anyway. And then they lose that relationship with her. Very true. You do kind of have to support it. But as a parent, I would be right behind her. Like, okay, you're going to stay here. I'll be right down the road. Agreed. And this, it all comes into play down the road when you're like, no, no adoptive parents. Why are you doing that? Continuing on. Upon arriving, things in the plod home were not what they seemed. Steve and Alyssa had already decided to separate and they were sleeping in separate rooms. Alyssa said she had suffered emotional and verbal abuse by her husband for years. Quote, I was always on eggshells. Whatever his mood was, everybody knew. And that mood was often not happy. A lot of yelling, a lot of smashing things in the house in front of our kids, end quote. So as the biological mother, why are you allowing... And and look, she's a victim in this situation, too. She's being abused. But to bring a child in that you got out of that situation... Exactly. ...makes me question your judgment. And you already knew Stephen was, like, abusing her as a baby. Why would you allow her? (laughs) They sound like little pterodactyls. (laughs) Please ignore the children in the background. The screaming velociraptors are actually (laughs) just small children playing. Don't worry about them. Upon living with Stephen and Alyssa, they also had two other daughters in the home at that time. They were ages 6 and 11. Didn't find their names. Didn't want to look too hard for them because I wouldn't have included them in that. It's not relevant to this case. Are they abused? Never says anything about it. Going back to the names, it's it's not relevant to the case per se. Another important aspect of this is I don't know whether it was when Katie first went and met Stephen and Alyssa or whether when she moved in, Alyssa pulled Katie aside to have a private conversation with her in which Alyssa told Katie that Stephen had abused her as a baby and that was the major reason that she was put up for adoption. In Alyssa's words, she said, Katie didn't even seem concerned, didn't even act like I had told her anything. Again, though, if you're the parent in the situation... Thank you. And I'm not shaming her. No. I mean, I'm sure she has her own struggles and she's endured her own types of abuse. But if you're telling her that and she's not having a reaction, first off, why are you letting her back in the home? Exactly. I would be like, look, I would love to get to know you. How about some and supervised visits like not even, outside like, of the home? We can get to know you without you moving in here. Yeah. And we exactly. would love to get to know you without you moving in here. I don't yep. want to bring someone into a situation where... I know how hard it is to escape domestic abuse and to find a way out. And I know that that's traumatic in itself, but to bring someone else into the situation, especially your daughter that you got out. Yeah. I, I, I get, that's why I was like starting to preface that is because I can't make too many, you know, claims towards this because I don't have children. I have no idea what it's like to be a mother. Me as a person and me having 8,000 nieces and nephews, I know for a fact, I just would never condone that or them going into a situation I already knew was dangerous, dangerous previously. Like, I would never allow that to happen. So I was curious on what your take would be. And it still gets worse. According to Alyssa, as well as people that did know the Plotus family, Stephen's behavior dramatically changed after meeting Katie. He began wearing skinny jeans form-fitting t-shirts he also shaved his beard and let his hair grow out longer no to me it seems like 
He's trying to look a lot younger than he really is. Because oh, I think at this age, he's this fucker's 40. Ew. It's disgusting. Around six weeks after Katie had moved in, Stephen slept on Katie's floor one night. This immediately concerned Alyssa, and when Stephen did the same thing the following night, she confronted him. He said it was none of her business and stormed out of the house with Katie. Alyssa couldn't take anymore, so she moved out in November of 2016 while they still remained in shared custody of their two other children. And left Katie there. Left Katie there. Well, so, and the other two girls. Why wouldn't you go and talk to Katie's parents, like her adoptive parents? I have like, no idea. We all need to sit down and talk to Katie. I have and get no her out idea. Of here. Like, very, very, very big mistakes were made throughout the entirety of this case and because again, the red flags are getting worse. Alyssa's a victim too. Do not get me wrong. And I hate when people shame people who don't know how to get out of a situation or can't get out of a situation. But for me, as a mom. To abandon that? Not abandon them. I don't think she meant to do that. She got herself Mm -hmm. out. But my first priority is always going to be my kids. Always. It's weird. In May of 2017, Alyssa discovered her 11-year-old daughter's journal and found, it's almost like hints of, so it wasn't like just blatantly written out, but hints of an incestuous relationship between Katie and Steven. She also discovered details of Katie possibly being pregnant. The journal also revealed that she and her six-year-old sister were told by Stephen to refer to Katie as their stepmom. Oh, no. No. In an interview with the Henrico County detective after the horrible murders, Katie's two sisters said Stephen and Katie slept in the same bed. They were instructed to stop calling Katie their sister and refer to her as their stepmom. Even one of the girls said her father told her not to tell anyone about the relationship with his older daughter, quote, or else friends will make fun of her, end quote. I don't understand. At 11 years old, you can't comprehend that. You're just listening to probably what you're being told. Oh, these children, this has nothing to do with them. It's, it's terrible. But, like... Alyssa found this and didn't take it to the police. Oh, well, yeah, we're getting to that. Upon reading the 11-year-old's journal, Alyssa called Stephen and was hysterical, asking if Katie was pregnant with his child. He simply responded back to her, I thought you knew. We're in love. Oh, no. After cussing him out and screaming, how could you do that? You're sick as fuck. She's a child. She called the police. Okay, good. So she ended up, she called him, she confronted him. He blatantly was like, yeah, we're in love. I thought you knew. Which, how is that your fucking answer? She doesn't live there anymore. Not and you're telling that, the two others. you're telling your wife that you're in love with your daughter. Yeah. No. So she ended up calling the police. On July 20th, 2017, two months after his divorce from Alyssa was finalized and amid the police investigation, Stephen married Katie in Parkton, Maryland. How? They obviously lied on their application, saying they were unrelated. And this is actually shown on the marriage record. What I find fucking confusing is the fact that Katie's adoptive parents were posing in a photo on the wedding day with Steve, his mother, Katie, and themselves. According to Katie's uncle, Carrie, he stated that Tony and Kelly felt there was nothing they can do and decided it was best to support Katie. What in the actual fuck? Not a chance in hell would I be in that picture, nor would I let her marry him. Would never allow that. You're allowing your child that you've adopted that (coughs) I don't... I don't see it as like adoptive parents, obviously. Like, like that's your child. That is your child. You've raised this child since she was eight months old. 
And you went and let her marry her biological father. And you were there. And I you can't celebrated? even think of like... I'm itchy. Any kind of situation where I would attend that, nor no. would I let her go. Never. It's hard because she's over 18, but I would be there like, they can't get married. Uh, excuse me. They're lying. That's a lie. Here's yeah. her like birth records and the adoption yeah, no. papers and all this shit. Like, absolutely not. So that's where, again, I knew the whole story. You obviously didn't, but, like, it progressively gets worse with them. It's like, I get you want to be supportive, but you're supporting her and doing something that incest is illegal. Like, you can't marry. That's illegal. And it's wrong and it's disgusting. Yeah. Katie gave birth to Bennett on September 1st. She and Stephen moved to a house in Nightdale, North Carolina, but their wedding bliss didn't last long. They were arrested and charged with incest in January of 2018. A judge ordered them. They're no longer allowed to contact each other, and Stephen's mother was given custody of Bennett. Whoa. Yes. I was going to ask, so, like, you can be charged for It incest. is literally a law. Like, you okay. cannot do that. It, it is, you can't do that. <laughs> well, because, I mean, if they do have a child, they can have problems yes and that's the main reason is because like most children born of incest and this is scientifically based everyone i'm not like this is not my personal view on it most are born with like either severe or like you know mild birth defects not even like small ones they're pretty significant Mm. this i don't like this either this is very weird rick Friedman II, this is Stephen's lawyer, stated that there was never an allegation that Stephen had pressured Katie into a relationship. I don't care if he pressured what her or not. What the fuck does that matter or not? It's still incest. Well, and in a way, like, I'm sure it was a lot of pressure for her. She's going there trying to please the people that gave birth to her. And how about we think back on Alyssa's statements of he pressured her to run away and elope. Like, yeah. it's very obvious this man is a fucking predator. Mm-hmm. And everybody's just like... Letting it go. Brushing it under the rug. It doesn't fucking make sense to me. He continues on, quote, This case is an 18-year-old girl who shows up at the doorstep of a 40-year-old man who's going through difficult times with his wife. No, a 40-year-old father. Her father. Exactly. They have a bond because they're biologically related, but they never knew each other before they had a sexual relationship. No. He was head over heels in love with her, so much that that outweighed the issue of them being biologically related, end quote. Mm Mm-mm. You shouldn't be able to practice law, sir. That's not even even a justification at all. You're just, you're stating that they didn't know each other, then they knew each other. It would be different had they just randomly met somewhere and they did not know that they were related. Like a stranger in a coffee shop had no idea. Okay, I got that. But still. But this is, she came there to get to know her parents. Not to meet a man and fall in love with him. Exactly. So the the fact the lawyer had the balls to be like, he's head over heels in love. I don't care. So much so, he's willing to look past incest. No. That's not a thing, sir. Go home. After their arrest, they were released. Katie moved back in with Tony and Kelly. And every Tuesday and Thursday, Katie would travel to her grandmother's home in Waterbury, Connecticut. Some state that it was, like, to do a job. Like, she was trying to get back into, like, creating a life. She wanted to get Bennett back. So, she was doing, like, this cleaning service with her grandma. Okay. Others just said that was just what they did every Tuesday, Thursday. Just Maybe she needed it. Yeah. I don't really know. Uh, Let me see here. At some point after coming back when she was released to her adoptive parents and before April 12th, Katie called Stephen and 
essentially severed all ties to their incestuous relationship. But it seems this was the catalyst to an already very deranged man. For an abusive person, cutting ties is the hardest part and the most dangerous part. Because then they They seek that out. Yep. And unfortunately, that's what happens. On April 12th, this was a Thursday. Katie and Tony left their home in Dover and they were heading to Waterbury to go to the grandma's house. Yet, unknown to them, in a nearby minivan, Stephen was watching them leave. Watching them leave, in case you didn't catch that, because my voice gave out. And surveillance video in the surrounding area, it literally shows him stalking them. And so the baby is at home? The baby is supposed to be uh, at, like, the The grandma's. Yes, correct. Only minutes later, witnesses reported someone opening fire. Katie and Tony were fatally shot. Stephen was later found dead from a self-inflicted gun wound. So what had happened was Katie and Tony, Tony was driving. Tony pulled up to a stop sign to which Stephen pulled alongside their car, pulled out an assault rifle type. It said like the AR-15 and just fucking opened fire like several rounds into their vehicle. So both Katie and Tony suffered multiple gunshot wounds to their upper torso and head, and they were dead. Mm. Shortly after the shooting, Stephen's mother calls 911 to report her son had had told her he killed their baby, Katie and her adoptive father, quote, I can't believe this is happening, end quote. In the 911 police report, she had said that her son was upset because Katie, who was only 20 years old at the time, had just broken up with him. So he essentially called the grandma and said, I killed the baby. He had told her how to get... I thought the baby was at grandma's house. I think that he had taken the baby to, like, his home, like, Stephen and Katie's home, because he maybe was, like, saying, like, I want to visit, but she had custody of the child. Okay. Um, He told her where they could find the keys to get in, and that's when the police went into the home and they found the baby dead by itself. God. Yeah. Police found the seven-month-old baby dead and alone in Katie and Stephen's house. They didn't release the cause of death, though it had been said the child did not suffer any noticeable injuries or trauma. I'm assuming he probably smothered it or something because that's what he liked to do with Katie. So I don't really know. After he shot Katie and Tony, he drove away. He was gone for a little bit and he essentially pulled up somewhere and just shot himself in the head. Alyssa, Stephen's former wife and Katie's biological mother, struggles to come to terms with all of this. She explained, quote, I'm grieving, I'm sad, I'm upset, but I also want to have something good come out of this. If it's the truth to get out there, to open people's eyes to incest, end quote. Mm-mm. And that is the horrifically sad story of Katie. Fusco. That's horrific. Is it not? Because I cannot she- imagine... I'm poor Katie. Who's just trying Fusco. to get to know her just, parents? Of course, he holds power over her, especially right. when she just wants to know who he is. And if he's being, it seems he's already very good at like manipulation. He's mm-hmm. been doing it with Alyssa all those years. Um, he was probably put on this facade, and so to her, it was just kind of one of those things where it's like she's just kind of going with the flow and probably gets sucked into that manipulation. Absolutely. And she had such a bright future ahead of her. Mm, I just, I'm at a loss for words. I know. I it's even... it's a tough one to swallow. Uh, 
like I said, there weren't like insane details coming out about the case. So I don't know if it's because, you know, I mean, that's a lot of tough subjects. It is. You guys, I think what we're going to start doing in the show notes and stuff, we're going to put links to things such as like child uh, abuse numbers that you can. Yes. Like numbers that you can call suicide, things of that nature. So that if you are listening to these episodes and something is going on in your life, someone else's life, you do have the means to try and help that person or help yourself. I personally could care less that Steven killed himself. The guy was a piece of shit and he was doing horrible things to all these ladies and, you know, even the families that they were involved in. But as for knowing stuff about like incest, and I do give Alyssa credit. She called the cops. She did take some steps. We want you guys to be able to have the means to get someone help if they need it. That is the case, dude. It was rough. It's brutal. There's just so many. I mean, it's it's not something that people talk a lot about. In this situation, I mean, I would have to say that it's rare. I can't imagine being the adoptive parents and just wanting to hold on to that relationship with your child and trying to support her. But at the same time, that would have... I just be. I don't know that I could have let her go back there, Mm-mm. and stay with them and live with them. And people are like, "Well, you're gonna lose her." Okay, yeah, I would say that too. But then I would be right there and monitoring the situation. Correct. I don't care how old she is; she's your daughter. No. The marriage thing is where I was like, absolutely not. Yeah, I get no. the, I get how hard it must have been to decide right. whether to intervene or not when she moved in with them to get to know her parents. Let alone how confusing and hard that must have been when they found out that there was some kind of an affair going on and then she's pregnant. Oh, man. And it does sound like I do believe that, like, you know, Tony and Kelly, they did seem supportive. Yeah. I mean, they let her come back in. They took care of her. You know, they raised her as a baby and all this shit. But, like, still, man, I don't fucking know. This is no one's fault but his. Yep. I mean, do I think that there are, like, instances during the story where it could have been stopped maybe but Mm -hmm. honestly this is such a tough situation on both sides it was hard for Alyssa. it was hard for her adoptive parent i i don't even know what the right answer would be at that point it's It's sad it is there's really there's no one to blame but him yep because he was a true piece of shit and i hope he's rotting in a fucking grave agreed or in hell i don't know to each their own whatever you believe in but and I hate when people take their own lives to get out of dealing with. That's what a they coward's do. fucking way out. Like, like suicide is it's here. It's it relevant. Is, yes, and, and I think people, people do get it. Help. And you know, I'm so sorry for the people that have suffered that much inside that that's yeah. where they land. But for people who commit these atrocious crimes and, then and ins- hurt other people instead of facing justice they escape yeah and i'm sure he was hurting but i really don't care what his emotional state no. was at that point no and for those that feel like taking your own life is kind of the only way out for you know whatever your thoughts or things that you're going through there's so many things that can help you we're gonna link those into the show notes and stuff like that but just know don't ever feel alone and like that's your only outlet Britt stated dudes that do this because they don't want to face you know the justice system and him going into jail knowing that he was having sex with his daughter and had a child I mean his life probably wouldn't have gone well he did that to get out of it he took the easy way it was a tough case this week guys Mm. Brit's at a loss of words. I am. But... I don't even know what to say. 
<laughs> I am. It's hard. That, Especially when I was researching and I was like, gosh, man, this is all so generalized. I just I, feel so sorry for everybody. Yeah. Mm. But we hope you guys enjoyed. I'm sorry it was such a hard one to listen to. But again, these things need to be discussed. You know, cases like this still have to come out into the open. But Britt has us next week. Mm. What, Britt's just really cringing up right now. Well, <laughs> my case next week isn't much better. Oh, no. So maybe we'll try and find something not as horrendous. Right. They're all horrendous. They I don't are. know. We're covering really hard topics. We are. Maybe here and there we'll throw in something. I don't want to say funny, but maybe something lighthearted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Throw yeah, in yeah. it's fucking lighthearted. I was going to say craziest ways to die, but that's not that lighthearted. No. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Have you ever seen, you're scrolling on TikTok and it's, you know, most insane ways people have died. And it's all like your old school ancient torture methods, but dude, some of that shit is rough. I don't like that shit. They used to put people in this like roasting yeah. bowl. No. And the, it would just boil you. I don't like that. Where they'd like tie up all your limbs. That's not like. To horses and they run no. in the opposite direction. No. I know. Is that not like no. hearted? No. <laughs> That's like giving me mental images <laughs> that I'm going to have to cope with as I try and sleep. All right, guys. How about this? If you <laughs> give guys. Give us some suggestions. Yes. Give us some suggestion, suggestions. Well, you know. Of like shorties that we could do shorties. to maybe throw in between some really hard as fuck cases. Because guess what? We're covering the hard as fuck cases, so y'all have to bear with. Or I was going to say, if people want to know about your areas of expertise. Ew. <laughs> I'm just saying, some people that's, are interested. That's very true. Yeah. All right, guys. So send us your suggestions. Just little episodes maybe we'll throw in between. Hard ones to listen to because I know it does get tedious and believe me, it gets tedious for us constantly researching and putting this shit together. Maybe give us some ideas as to what you would want. We're signing off now because the children are starting to bang on the door. All right. See you guys next week. See you guys next week. Bye. Bye.